Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. This week, we're talking about The Haunting of Hill House, the new album Imploding the Mirage by The Killers, and the Heathcliff Lennox Cozy Mystery Series by Karen Ba Minuin. But first, as a reminder, we're almost at the one-year anniversary of our show, and we're still conducting a survey to find out what you want to hear more of as we enter year two. Please do that. Our parents are the only ones who have filled it out so far. (laughs) (laughs) Where can they find the survey? (laughs) (laughs) They can find the link to our survey in our show notes, and we'll also have it available as a link on our Twitter account, at Podcast. And don't forget that it's anonymous, so we're not collecting any weird information about you. No, we just want to know what people would like to hear more of. And I think we've decided that our 52nd episode is our one-year anniversary, have we not? Sure. <laughs> well, there was some debate about that last week, I think. There was, but then we never talked about it. <laughs> Do we? Well, I think we did a little bit. You made an executive decision. I think I did. And it, it works. Does it work? This is yeah. episode 50, so we've got <laughs> two weeks until our anniversary. So I think that we've got some fun stuff planned for that, so be sure to keep listening and I'm I'm so stoked that we're coming up on this. That's great. Me too. And 50 is a big milestone in itself, which is awesome. And sort of surprised you haven't gotten sick of me yet. So that's great. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> but now on to our subjects this week. Carrie, you listened to the new Killers album. I didn't get a chance to listen to it yet, but I do love them. So tell me all about this record. Okay, cool. I was going to ask if you were a fan I'm not going to talk about it as academically as you will talk about it, but (laughs) bear with me. So I was picking up some stuff in Target last week, and I like to browse the books and the albums to see what's what's out. And uh, I didn't know they they had come out with the new album, but it was released on August 21st. It's called Imploding the Mirage. I think it's their sixth studio album. They did lose their guitarist. Oh, no. Yeah, I think a couple years ago in 2017. Oh, okay. But it's mostly the same people. And I know I read an article a little while ago about how Brandon Flowers is the main singer and he writes a lot of the music too. But the other band members like all wanted to kind of take a break. So he really kind of got them together for this album. But I don't know how together there are, if that makes sense. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) As our friend Rachel would say, there are a lot of bops. Yay! <laughs> it's a great car album. Like, I, I got it at Target. I put it on in the car. And I was just like, this reminds me of summer, especially because I listened, I remember listening to, I think it was Day and Age. Is that one of their albums? Uh-huh. A while ago when I was in high school or college during the summer and just like having the windows down and driving down the road so it reminded me of that and it reminded me of like freer times it would give me nostalgia (laughs) a little bit that's good (laughs) yeah yeah so i i think you'll like it cool i did detect some 80s inspiration in there there's some synthesizers (laughs) nice (laughs) so i'm i'm really actually curious about what what you'll think about it cool it's a solid album. The first five tracks are like really, really good. Mm-hmm. And for a while, it took, me, it took me a little while to get past those because I kept going back and I was like, all right, this is a bop. This is a bop. 
But the last half of the album is is strong in a slightly different way. There are still upbeat songs and like I find a lot of joy in their music, mm-hmm. even if they're not always singing about happy things like the instrumentation and the way the music is written just makes me feel happy. And it's got like a little bit of a triumphant sound to it. It's very energetic. There's often a driving driving drumbeat, which I love. And this album particularly, well, it's been a while since I've listened to their older stuff, but um, there's a lot of nature imagery, which oh. I loved. There's a particular song called Lightning Fields, which is one of my favorites. And Katie Lang guest stars on that. What? Guest stars? Guest, guest sings? Guest sings? Yeah. Guest <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> I looked at the album and it was like featuring Katie Lang and I was like, that seems like the strangest pairing, <laughs> but it works really well. And I think it's one of my favorite. I think it is my favorite song off the album. Cool. And I don't know. It just gives me this great imagery of like standing in a field and there being lightning around you, which is very cool. But some of it's, it's kind of pensive and thoughtful. I've always thought that they had interesting lyrics they talk they talk about really interesting things. It feels like they're having a conversation about like freedom and healing and spirituality and joy and there's just a lot of ideas wrapped up in in like this upbeat rock music and I just really really love that. That's awesome. I I'm yeah. totally going to listen to this. That sounds really up my alley. I've been missing not that there haven't been rock albums released. Obviously, it's still a viable genre. But like alternative rock, I feel like has kind of, I don't know if it's just considered a little bit retro at this point. And mostly because there's just a lot of really dynamic pop music, dance music, and even country music coming out and R&B and stuff. And people sort of, I don't know, I, I'm, I, I love me a good rock band that has a little bit of a pop sensibility. And so mm-hmm. they're right up there with, uh, I feel like they didn't maybe get as big because Panic at the Disco almost took that seat a little bit. And hmm. I find them very similar, not in a bad way, but just that Panic got a little bit bigger, I think, and continued making albums a little bit more consistently. So, but I think the Killers might be even better as artists. Like, I think they are a little bit more introspective. So, yeah, that's a great word for it. That's the word I was kind of looking for. But that's really interesting because I think Brandon Yuri, Brandon of Panic at the Disco, and Brandon Flowers of the killers both have like kind of interesting frontman voices yes they do i think so that's a really good comparison yeah i think they both have strong voices and can sound like polished singers but they also have a little bit of a almost angry nasal quality that i sort of weirdly like that's very retro actually that's very that's a very early 80s new wave okay. rock band voice to to do and maybe that's why i like both of these bands <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> But yeah, no, it sounds really good. I'm I'm definitely going to check it out. I I probably need to go back into their back catalog because I haven't I probably haven't listened to one of their albums front to back in oh my gosh, like a long time, an embarrassingly long time. So, yeah. I'm going to I mean, Mr. Brightside is like one of my anthems and of course, they have some remixes of that that are really fun and that I kind of revisit a little too much. So, okay. I, I need to broaden out <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I realized after I started listening to this one that it's been a while since I've listen to one of their albums all the way through so i started a spotify playlist 
of their stuff. So I'm going to go through and put my favorite things on there. Cool. I do want to mention there is one more guest musician. Way is Blood appears on the track My God. And I'm not super familiar with her stuff, but you might be not sure. No, I've never heard of her. Okay. Just wanted to put that out there. And a couple of my favorite songs besides Lightning Fields. There's Blowback, Dying Breed, Caution. Those are two, three, and four. So those are like... (laughs) (laughs) And then Running Towards a Place and My God are all really good songs. But I think overall it's a super strong album. Awesome. Please let me know what you think of it. When you listen to it, I would advise... I know we're not driving a lot these days, but I think it's great to listen to it first in the car. Cool. But you do you. I will. I will. You know what? I just figured out that I have not driven a car in about half a month. <laughs> wow. I've been in a car, but I haven't driven a car yeah. since mid-August. So yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. It is pretty crazy. But instead of listening to stuff, you've been you've been reading some a cool series that I'm interested in hearing more about. Yes, this is a very cute series. I'm halfway through. Well, actually, I'm three quarters of the way through the second book in the series. This is the Heathcliff Lennox series by Karen Baum Nguyen. And this is a cozy mystery series. The first book is called Murder at Melrose Court. And it's described as a 1920s country house murder. A lot of the reviews of the series call it a combination of Downton Abbey, Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, and PJ Wodehouse. And I totally think that's an apt mashup. So this is a little bit different from a lot of stuff that I that I tend to read, but I I deliberately was wanting something cozy and something Downton Abbey esque, and I went searching for that, and this is what I found, and I was not disappointed. That's awesome. Yeah. So the first book, Heathcliff Lennox is a former major in the army from World War I, and he's also a wealthy nobleman, but he's sort of like a shabby noble. Like he's a lord, but his his family is a little bit like run down. His manor house is like more of a country hunting house, really. And the person who still holds the title in his family is his uncle, who's getting on in years. And um, he goes to Melrose Court, which is the family manor for Christmas in the first book. And he brings his dog. That's the other thing that's why I love this. He has a dog. What kind of dog? It's like a, I I picture it, they don't really describe it too closely, but I picture him kind of like a Cocker Spaniel Golden Retriever mix. He is technically a hunting dog, but he is such a cowardly crybaby. (laughs) The author has has a picture of a dog who inspired Mr. Frog on her website, and she- Oh, Mr. Frog. <laughs> oh, Mr. Frog. Mr. Fog, sorry, is the dog's oh, name. Oh, Mr. Fog. Mr. Fog. That's so cute. It's so cute. And so the dog that is pictured on her website does look like a Cocker Spaniel for the most part. So okay. Mr. Fog is his dog, and he comes with him everywhere. And then in book two, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this. In book two, he gets a little black kitten named oh. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Tubbs. <laughs> Oh, so and then there's a picture of Mr. Tubbs on her website, too. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. This is adorable. It's so cute. (laughs) We are definitely discussing the important things here. Yes, yes. I will get into the real plot. But the other thing is that Mr. Fogg and Mr. Tubbs, (laughs) like, get along with each other very well. They're very cute. So and and Lennox himself is kind of a he's very intellectual. He's a little bit distracted. He's a very much, if he'd been a professor, he'd be the absent-minded professor type. Uh, But he's also very focused and he enjoys investigating mysteries. 
And he also is a little bit, though, awkward around people. And especially women, there's a lot of awkward, like, women find him attractive and he's kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. So that's sort of endearing. And I've seen some reviews where some people find that not very endearing and that he seems cold and weird. But I'm like, I don't know, his coldness and weirdness works for me. I find him very funny. So the first book, he goes home for the holidays and his cousins are there and some extended family members, some of whom get along with each other better than others. And his, his widower uncle has gotten engaged to this woman who's a Russian countess. And um, she has her niece with her. And the niece is engaged to Lennox's cousin. And the countess herself is kind of obnoxious and almost seems sort of a little too gauche to be of old money. And so there's a little bit of suspicion there. And she decides, now that I'm marrying into the family, we're going to change a whole lot of stuff. And we're going to disinherit certain people. And it's going to be all this. And so Lennox and the other cousins are kind of like, oh, is, is she taking our uncle for a ride? This seems pretty scary. Yeah. And then someone is murdered in the manor house. <sighs> is it her? I will, I'm, I'm going to leave that <laughs> unspoiled. Yeah, that's fair. But um, Lennox himself is a suspect in the murder, and he didn't okay. do it. He's our, he's our first person point of view character. So we know from the second the murder happens, he did not do it. It was obvious he didn't do it. But there's a police detective named Detective Swift who comes in and he is thinking that uh, Lennox did it. And Lennox, though, finds that through the process of trying to help investigate who really did it, that he actually enjoys this kind of detective work. And so in book two, which is called The Black Cat Murders, and The Black Cat Murders refers to two things, both that there's a litter, litter of little black kittens, of which Mr. Tubbs is one, and there's also this weird underground nightclub called The Black Cat Club that they have to go to to investigate it. And there's a a similar sort of manor house murder in that book as well, with some of his extended family involved. So the thing is, with cozy mysteries, it's almost immaterial, the details of the actual investigation, other than there's a lot of witty banter, there's a lot of very, very English countryside humor, and very sort of old fashioned things. But these are written in present day, like she wrote a lot of these in 2019. So she's very prolific. She's already up to book five. Jeez. Yeah. There's a little wink to it being a period piece written now. There's little references that sort of would remind one of Downton Abbey. And there's a lot of really picturesque scenery described, a lot of really colorful, funny characters. And I really do think of these as almost almost as comedic as they are, you know, discussing the murder mystery element. So I really, okay. yeah, I really like them. I think Detective Swift comes back in book two and he and Lennox have a funny relationship that kind of starts to improve over time. And then, of course, there's the, this dog and cat who are amazing. <laughs> and, you know, if you want to kind of fantasize about, you know, noble life at the early part of the 20th century, it's, it's good for that. Every book cover has like a pretty manor house on the cover, and it's just very beautiful. And the fact that the first book takes place at Christmas, and we're sort of slowly, slowly getting into the holiday season, and yet the holidays this year might seem a little different, sadly. I think reading books set at Christmas could be a nice way to comfort oneself over any loss of family gatherings. So it's true. Yeah. But yeah, I just they're just really charming and really cute. These are, I think, independent publishing. And I love to try to support indie authors. And so if you if that's important to you, that's another nice thing. So I just hope she keeps cranking these out because I think I'm going <laughs> to, I think when I'm done with this one, I may switch to something else, but I 
think I'll just keep like alternating with these for a while because they're just very, very comforting. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm really glad you found them. And that sounds like a great plan. I too love supporting indie authors. And I just bought the ebook and the accompanying audiobook oh. <laughs> <laughs> to go with it because I've started this new thing where I like to listen to audiobooks at night. And I was like, this sounds perfect for that. Yes. So I'm very excited to dive into them. I was going to ask you if they're since you're on book two, are there any other recurring characters besides the detective? Or is it more like a new cast every time? Well, that's what's kind of cute about it. And it reminds me of Murder, She Wrote, where it's there are some people who recur a little bit. But a lot of these, from what I understand, just with book two, and then reading descriptions of the rest of the series, it's mostly Lennox is going away from his home to visit various extended family and friends. And so we meet all of them as he goes, but he does have his own butler that shows up kind of as a framing device. So we do see okay. that guy. But then Detective Swift comes back. And I like that because that reminds me a lot of the various police detectives that Holmes, that Sherlock Holmes works with, mm -hmm. not just Watson. So there isn't really a Watson figure so much as it's more like Sherlock Holmes working with the police. And he yeah. even sort of makes references to Sherlock Holmes as someone that he admirers thinking like, well, okay, I need to stop ruminating over this so much and, and freaking out about this so much because what would Sherlock do? And it's like, <laughs> that's, that's sort of cute. I like that. Yeah. It sounds like people might stop inviting him to parties if people keep getting murdered when he shows up. <laughs> yes. Well, that was the, that's the joke about Jessica Fletcher in Murder, She Wrote, right? right? Yeah. That she's like the biggest serial killer in, North, in New England. <laughs> Quit inviting her to stuff. So yeah, but I totally if you like if if somebody likes Murder, She Wrote or Elementary or Sherlock or other things in that vein, these books are very, very cute. So I totally recommend them. Awesome. Great. But you just finished watching something a little bit tonally, a complete 180. <laughs> very different. Yeah, yeah. The Netflix adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So similar... Similar in that they both take place at a house, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but <laughs> different because The Haunting of Hill House is very, very heavy. And honestly, I was disturbed through the whole thing. So it's 10 episodes long and it came out in 2018, I believe. It's adapted from the Shirley Jackson novel. And what, I heard great things about it when it came out. I think you watched it when it came out. Is I that did. right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Have you watched it recently? No, it's been since okay. it came out that I watched it. So this will give me a good refresher. Yeah. So my sister and brother-in-law had recommended it to me when it came out. And I was like, it looks too scary for me. But <laughs> <laughs> this year for the podcast, I'm trying to watch some scarier things because I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> so welcome to the first segment of Carrie Watches Scary, parentheses, movie slash TV. <laughs> so, I watched the first episode to see if it would be like, if I would be okay with finishing the whole thing. And honestly, no, it was terrifying. I was really <laughs> disturbed a lot. But uh, <laughs> by the end of it, I was I was really into it. I was attached to the characters. And I think it was like episode seven, where I texted my sister and I was like, I'm really disturbed. But at this point, I just need to know what happened. So... <laughs> So it's about the Crane family, and I haven't read the book. Have you read the book? No, I have not, actually. Okay. I have it, and I would like to read it soon, but it seems to differ pretty greatly. Mm -hmm. And so 
in the series, it's about the Crane family and about 20, 25 years ago, maybe the Crane parents, Hugh and Olivia, they are house flippers in like the 90s and they buy this old house called Hill House intending to fix it up over the summer and sell it in in the fall. And they've got their five kids with them. Steve's the oldest. He's I think he's like 12 in the earlier scenes. And then there's Shirley, Theo, short for Theodora. And then the twins, Nell and Luke. And unfortunately, <laughs> the house is haunted. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so things do not turn out like expected. And it jumps between what happened back then and what's happening in the present. Uh-huh. So all the kids are adults now and they are all very messed up in different ways. (laughs) (laughs) So what I thought was really interesting was the way it was structured. So there are five children and each of the first five episodes follows one of the, one of the kids, like the other ones show up and the stories converge, but it's really like the first episode is Steven and we get things from his perspective. And then we get Shirley's perspective and each episode kind of builds on the other other ones. And I thought that was really interesting. It can be a little frustrating because, you know, I didn't like all of the characters. <laughs> Honestly, that was the hardest thing for me because I really, I don't know how you felt, but I really did not like Steve. Oh. And he's, his is the first episode. So I watched the first episode and it was all him. And I was just like, I don't like this guy. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry. He was just like arrogant and thinks he knows everything. He's very dismissive of of some of the family members and I I just wasn't really it did not connect with him at all, which was weird because he's a writer. Yeah. And my housemate was like we have this joke that I keep watching we keep watching movies and and shows about writers <laughs> that make me depressed. <laughs> and she was like here's one that about a writer that won't make you depressed and I was like okay, but I hate the writer character. <laughs> So once I got past the first episode and I got to know the the other siblings a little bit more, I really I got more into it. It is not for the faint of heart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't like super super scary things, I would say. Well, there's not there's not a lot of gore. No, but there's things that I found psychologically disturbing in a way that was yes. very like hard to shake. Yes. I don't know how quickly you watched it, but it took me a long time because I really could not watch more than one even a week. Like, I, I think I did start to get faster as I went, but I really, I could, definitely couldn't watch more than one at a time. I really couldn't, like, quote unquote, binge it because it was just so heavy. And the episodes are actually pretty long. And yeah, I think that when I watched it, I would have to be like, let's watch a sitcom now because I'm going <laughs> to cry as I go to bed if we don't do that before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I somewhat agree. The first half, I was definitely like that. Uh-huh. But yeah, in episode six or seven, I was like, oh, no, I just have to find out what happens. And I have to like push through. So I watched the second half much more quickly than I watched the first half. Uh-huh. But I totally understand. Yeah. And it stayed with it's I mean, it still stays with me. I sometimes just think about it randomly. And I'm like, oh, those poor kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very. Sp- well, and the other thing is that really creeped me out. It was, and this may be just kind of me, the grown-up Shirley is a uh, mortician, mm, and yeah. there's some really upsetting stuff that happens just to do with the physicality of death 
and dead bodies and stuff. And so if that's going to bother you, just don't. Like, if if you couldn't watch Six Feet Under, you're not going to have a good time with this show either. <laughs> not that it's not handled sensitively, but it's it's just, it's upsetting and sad. That's the other thing is that there's, it's not that it's not beautiful. There are really beautiful things that it has to say about grief and life and death and family and overcoming adversity and integrating the past in your present and overcoming trauma. But it is, it's almost more sad than scary. And that in some ways can be kind of disturbing in a different way. Yeah, for sure. That sort of stuff is kind of what gets to me more because the ghost stuff is scary. Yeah. Oh, it is scary. Yes. Yes. But the reason I found it so disturbing was a lot of it plays with your with your perception, I guess, Mm -hmm. in that you're never quite sure what's real. Mm -hmm. And there are five kids and two adults and you have a lot of tension between what some people say happened to them and what some people are dismissing and don't believe and say could not possibly be true. So that that to me is really scary because it's just like, I think it's really scary not to be able to trust your own mind. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the reality is that our memories are terrible anyway. So so we never quite remember things exactly the way they are anyway. But for some reason, that stuff just really kind of gets to me. So that's what I found, I think, especially disturbing about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's shot in a such a specific way with this very careful lighting and very careful camera work. And it's very quiet a lot of the time. And for some reason, if you watch it during Halloween season with your lights out and in a quiet house, you will probably have some bad dreams, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I do not think I watched any episodes when it was dark outside. <laughs> I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I think I watched all of it at night and fairly oh. toward the later evening. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was brave. <laughs> One of the reasons that it really kind of sucked me in, though, was because I do love stories about siblings mm-hmm. and I'm definitely sort of a character first kind of writer and reader I think so if I can't for some reason can't forge a connection with the main character the rest kind of feels empty to me mm-hmm. even if the plot is really cool yeah so this I just thought it did a really good job with depicting what it's like to have that many siblings and you know even the perspective thing like showing that two siblings are coming at the same problem or the same situation from different perspectives and and the you as the viewer can see it both ways but they can't see it from each other's perspective mm-hmm. so yeah i just thought like i think it's episode five or six i can't quite remember where all of the siblings plus their dad are together and most of the episode is just conversations between them mm-hmm. and among them and like it's so tense <laughs> that yeah I was like oh oh my goodness so I think it for me I just really really liked that they were able to blend that family drama Mm -hmm. with this ghost story because otherwise I think I would have just been like oh it's a ghost story and this is terrifying objectively but it doesn't really it wouldn't have stuck with me in the same way I think yeah I agree I will also say that I am not a fan of Carla Gugino who plays the mom (gasps) I really what? dislike her tremendously. <laughs> what? I have Why? this weird thing. Like, 
Oh my god. But I but I did think that the rest of the casting was great and I thought that having Henry Thomas is played as an older adult by Timothy Hutton and I never thought before I've seen both of them in a lot of stuff before but I never thought until this that they look a lot alike and could be father and son and to have them play the same character at different ages I thought was just brilliant and Victoria Pedretti plays Nell as an adult and she's from you would know her from the Netflix series You season two and I think she's a really brilliant actress so wow I'm still, my mouth's still hanging open in shock because I can't believe that you don't like Carla Gugino at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I've seen her in a lot of stuff for, for probably going on 30 years. And I just, there's another actress named Paula Marshall who I like a lot better. And I think they look alike. And I just wish that Paula Marshall would always get cast whenever they cast Carla Aww. instead. Yeah, I don't know. That's not fair. I don't know. I Paula just, Marshall is pretty cool. Yeah. <sighs> Oh, they're slightly different types. I think Paula Marshall does a little bit more comedy and whatever. But I just think that Carla is almost like the more pensive version of her. And it just doesn't always work for me. But she's very good in this. I don't know. There's certain people that just kind of like bug you. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's totally fair. But that's really, really interesting because I have this weird soft spot for her because she was in this miniseries adaptation of The Buccaneers, which is by Edith Wharton. And it's one of my favorite books. And the adaptation's not super faithful, but it's still, like, really great. And she plays the main character. And I've just loved her ever since high school because of that. So when this came out and I knew she was in it, I, like, really wanted to watch it. But then I decided it was too scary. <laughs> so I'm, gl- I'm glad I did because I, I thought she was great in it. I thought all of the main cast was really great. And I was I was a little bit worried because the first thing I saw Victoria Pedretti in was You, where she plays someone not super likable mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but she re- she really won me over in this and just really made me feel for her character mm-hmm. i think she's a pretty good actress a pretty good i think <laughs> <laughs> i think she's a great actress i liked all of the kids although my favorite was theodora yes just gotta put that out there cool. but they're doing a second season sort of but it's the haunting of bly manor mm-hmm. And some of the main cast is coming back. So it's a different story. Some of the, the same actors. Henry Thomas is going to be back. Yay. Oliver Jackson Cohen is going to be back. Kate Siegel and Victoria Pedretti are all going to be back. So awesome. I'm, I'm interested in, in seeing that. But And it's based on Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Yep. Which we love. Which we love. And... And we disagree on. We do. We do. But I'm, I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be just as creepy. I want to give a little shout out to the 1999 film, The Haunting, which was another adaptation of the Shirley Jackson novel. I saw this in the theater when it came out. Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Owen Wilson, and Lily Taylor were in it. And even though it's a worse piece of film, it's more <laughs> faithful to the book. <laughs> Okay, that's good to know. So it keeps it keeps the the structure of the book as to who the characters actually are. They completely redo it for the for the series. Yeah, but it's not as well done as the series is. So if you like any of those actors, also seeing Owen Wilson in what is supposed to be a very serious psychological horror film is bizarre and worth the price of admission <laughs> on its own. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna look up where I can stream it. Yeah, yeah. One last thing I I did want to say about 
the series is that I mean, I don't, we've talked about this a lot. I don't know all that much about horror, mm-hmm. but one of the reasons that people like it a lot is the sense of catharsis that you get by the end of it. Yeah. And for some reason, this was the first like out and out horror thing that really gave me that sense of catharsis. And I was very happy with how it ended, mm-hmm. very sad at parts. And I cried like a baby during the last episode. So. Oh, I was. A, I remember like not being able to see. I was crying so hard at the end, <laughs> which doesn't mean it's not got some positive, hopeful things to say because I think it mm-hmm. does. But that was almost. It's poignant. It's extremely poignant. Yes. So yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. So. Cool. Oh, it was a ride. <laughs> Well, next week, we're going to kind of continue our October theme of Carrie Watches Scary Movies (laughs) by talking about Get Out and The Shining. And we're also going to talk about horror as a genre in a little bit more specificity. So stick around for that. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Podcast, where you can also find the link to our listener survey. Anonymous listener survey. (laughs) You can email us if you'd like to do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.